Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. Hello and welcome to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you and boy do we have a massive show for you to bring in your weekend. It has been a massive week of tennis and well before we get to any of it because we do have some surprises for you today. Uh, Joel Frucci, my beloved co-host, he joins me. How are you Joel? Oh thanks Val. I'm good. I'm good. It's a Saturday morning. Got a pep in our step. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. Well, I'm I'm especially very well because today we have another top 100 ATP interview. We've got Danish star Holger Rune to join us on the show, and I am so excited to chat to him because he's an out-and-out superstar. We remember him from the US Open last year when he took a set off Novak in the, uh, in the opening round, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Just looked a bit cramped. Um, but yeah, he, he's got the pedigree to be an absolute star on the ATP to have played the next gen finals, finally won his first match of the year in uh, Marseille this week. So really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about his career so far and where he can project his career in the future. But before Joel, before we do chat to him, this has been the story of the week. But as things stand, if this means that you miss the French open, is that a price you'd be willing to pay? Yes. That is the price that I'm willing to pay. And if it means that you miss Wimbledon this year, again, that's a price you're willing to pay? Yes. Why, Novak? Why? Why? Because the principles of uh, decision-making on my body uh, are more important than any title or anything else. I'm I'm trying to be in tune with my body um, as much as I possibly can. Yes, it was the Novak Djokovic interview with the BBC this week. And, oh, it had some absolute bombshells. And fair play to Amol Rajan to, to get the interview. It was the first time that Novak has spoken uh, publicly since his, or to the media, I guess, since his deportation from Australia. And there were some massive, mm. massive revelations, I think. And, and especially the fact that he will continue to remain unvaccinated from COVID-19. And and that was probably the big talking point for me, that Djokovic is willing to die on this hill. Um, and the fact that he, he just said, I'm willing to forego my chance at winning the French Open, winning Wimbledon this year, which he'd go in as almost an unbackable favourite to do so, especially even after Rafa won, won the AO. You'd think that'd get the drive going to maybe get vaccinated and and continue that push to to be statistically the greatest of all time. But he's he said publicly now, I'm not doing it. I refuse to. And he he spoke about a few other things as well, which we will touch on. But what what did you make of the interview? Because I'm honestly I'm still a little bit surprised. But um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a bizarre bizarre argument to stand up for. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess the overriding thing here, though, was that I wasn't really surprised by anything that that Novak said in in that interview. I guess probably the the biggest thing was that there was a lot of talk about the fact that he had entered into into um, Indian Wells, which is a a, va- a vaccination only event. So we thought that you know maybe he's changed his tune and maybe he's going to go and get it. But um, yep, he's he's doubled down. So it's not really a surprise. And um, people that listen to us regularly will be well aware of our views on um, on being vaccinated and 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 Novak's stance on it. So. Yeah, look, really no surprise, but yeah, we were chatting him um, a bit about it off air and um, you mentioned it a 
you mentioned it there as well. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, fair play, fair play to him for, for continuing to stand firm on what he believes in, which is again something that, that you mentioned. But again, it's just, it's just such a strange way to uh, strange hill to die on, really. And I, I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like, um, I mean, this this guy is going to go down as one of the greatest pure athletes of all time, not just in tennis, but I think generally. But you know, when we when it comes to legacy, and legacy is a big thing in sport, he's he's going to be remembered for this, unfortunately, which is is a real pity. But I, I just I, I can't see him being remembered as anything other than a guy that was anti science. Yep, you're bang on the money. But look, one thing I do want to say, and we must respect Novak in a sense that he's really standing up for what he believes in. And against all the public pressure, against all the peer pressure, 99% of the ATP Tour top 100 are vaccinated. That means 99 players. He's the world number one. He's the only one. He's the only one. But he continues to stand by his beliefs. So, look, there is a massive element of respect for me um, for Novak in that sense, where despite the global outcry of his actions and what he's doing, that Mm. he is standing up for his beliefs. So respect there. But, oh, my God, what is wrong with him? (laughs) In the same sentence. Um, Just get it. (laughs) And the... Going back to the the greatest of all time talk, this you're right. This is what he's going to remem- be remembered for. And I'm sorry, for someone that has dragged tennis's name through the mud constantly, he's been defaulted. He's had um, you know his toilet breaks, his injury when he's in inverted quotes faked injuries, um, and when he's come out, he's been defaulted. As I said. And there's been so many other occasions where he's just said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, the Adria tour and and the debacle that that was. For someone that has continuously dragged the name of tennis through the mud, I'm sorry, he can never be the greatest of all time. He never can be. I'm sorry. And yes, you can talk about the statistics and he may be the greatest on court. He may end up with that title, but I'm sorry, he will never be the greatest tennis player of all time. Because the greatest tennis player of all time is the one that does the most for the sport. And Roger and Rafa are miles and miles and miles ahead of where Novak is at the, at, in, in terms of that and what he's done mm. for the sport. He's brought yeah, it into and- disrepute. Roger and Rafa have brought the adoration of millions of fans, billions of fans around the globe. So mm. I'm, I'm sorry. With, with views like this, you, you can't have that as your poster boy. Yeah, and and I'm going to cast an even wider net here. Um, when we talk about goat athletes in our sport, um, if you know, if you think about what Serena Williams has brought to tennis, she has done so much, so much. Um, and of, you know, granted, she's had her moments as well, but um, you know, I don't think we're going to be remembering Serena for those reasons. So, um, oh, that Carlos yeah, Ramos be- outburst was pretty damn bad, Joel. No, it was bad. It was bad. But I don't think we're going to remember her for, for that when she eventually does decide to retire. But, um, yeah, look, it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see how this debate evolves. And it's, it's a big debate because if you have a bit of a flick through sort of, um, you know, tennis Twitter or tennis Reddit, which just quietly I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but I find myself stuck in that whirlpool, um, 
it's just it's just a matter of sort of curiosity just to see what people are saying and um you know i guess there's you could argue that there's a certain crowd that uh in Novak's corner, but it's it's kind of just interesting, really, just to see all the different arguments that are floating about when it comes to this thing. And um, you know, I I don't really like to engage in the goat debate too much, but I think yeah, when it comes to when it comes to sort of issues of really, you would have to say social importance. Like, yeah, it's a pretty big thing. So yeah, everyone's going to have their own opinion on it, mm. but. People know where we stand. Yeah, well, and a, a lot of people do have the same opinion. And uh, Patrick Moritoglu came out this week and gave his reaction on his social media platforms and YouTube page, and he said that the almost the exact same thing. He said, "Well, I've got massive respect for Novak to come out and stand up for his beliefs. You have to respect him for that. But also, why, why?" Mm. And uh, Amol Rajan said the same thing. Why Novak? Why? And that, yeah, and, I, I love that. And, <laughs> I thought that was great. And that might be the catch cry when he does decide to retire. That might sum up his career. Why Novak? Mm-hmm. Why Novak? Why? Why did you have to go and do all these things? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it is it is a really bizarre one, and and the fact that he's. The one contradictory thing that I didn't like was when he said, "I'm not an anti-vaxer." Um, and I'm uh, not yeah, against well, vaccination. <laughs> I'm not against vaccination, and but essentially saying that I don't want to be put with those anti-vaxxers. Saying that you know I'm one of them. I don't want to be put with them. But actions are speaking louder than words, and that's the problem. The fact that you're still not getting the vaccination, and you say that the whole globe collectively has been thrown under the bus by this pandemic and and what we've had to go through, um, but you're not advocating for the one thing at the moment that's going to get us out of it. So yeah. it's you, you kind of you, you, it's it's very contradictory. And then you and you you mentioned in um, tennis Twitter and tennis Reddit with the public opinion of Novak. There's only two ways that you can look at it. I don't think there's many neutrals in this in this debate at all because you've either got the sycophantic mm-hmm. Nolle fam, who my God they have said we should we could do a podcast about the idiotic things that they said in January. We, we genuinely could. There, we probably a, could, yeah. There's a couple on Twitter, and they will remain nameless because I'm not going to give them any sort of publicity, that they just need to maybe just, just reread their tweets before they send them out. Just, Completely just, agree. just maybe just a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's... And then you've got the other people that are just like, seriously, just come on. We, most of the globe has been vaccinated. Um, just get it done so we can move out of this. And we're starting to. AFL crowds here in Melbourne are going to be at full capacity come March. So things are starting to to progress now. And this is what is exciting. So, But you do need to be double vaxxed if you are going to enter an AFL arena so or triple vaxxed or whatever it's going to be in the time. So... It's yeah, it's a bizarre hill to die on. Respect for him to continue, uh, or for continuing this push and continuing to stand up for what he believes in. But um, yeah, it was a it was an eye opening interview, and the fact that at the French Open and Wimbledon, both of which he is the defending champion in, we might not be seeing Djokovic, and it could give. Sounds Rafa- like we might though, at least with Wimbledon. Wimbledon maybe Tim Henman has said that. Um, rules could change very well by July or June, July, which um, that 
does look very favorable for Novak Djokovic, but I don't understand why they would because their cases are still pretty rife um, from my from uh, what I've seen. Um, so I'm not sure how how that's going to work or anything like that. So look, he might still be able to play Wimbledon, but Macron in France has pretty much said no. Nah, we, we don't want anyone unvaccinated coming in, sports stars, whatever. If you are a Frenchman and you're unvaccinated, well, then that's a different story. And that's the same as what it was here in Melbourne you, or in Australia. You could get an exemption or different types of exemptions. But a few players mm-hmm. didn't, didn't, uh, Olivia Gadecki was one of them. Um, she, for, um, she didn't play the Australian Open. I think she was either going to get a wild card into the main draw or qualifying. And she said, no, nah, I'm not getting vaccinated. So I'm not playing. Which was a huge shame as well because she had a really good 2021. Mm. And I was excited to see what she could do at the Australian Open. But anyway. Yep. Stand up for your beliefs. And unfortunately, you got to pay the price at times. And yeah, so it's a big watch this space. It is a massive watch this space. It was an eye-opening interview, as we said. It was a good interview. And yeah, there were were a few things that I think were left unsaid. um, And that was about his COVID positive test in December. Um, that wasn't really touched on. and The less said about that, the better. Yeah, and and that's the problem. I think that's getting plastered over a little bit here by his vaccination stance, but we can't ignore the fact that he travelled with COVID and went around with COVID. So, mm, yep. yeah, it's not just about the interview and what he said. It's also about the actions in December by Novak Djokovic. So... It's not been a good start to the year. Whether he plays Dubai next week, we don't know. He's been in Dubai a couple of times already, so I'm assuming that they'll probably let him in and he'll be able to participate in the ATP 500, which he has won before, most recently in 2020. So um, we'll see what happens there. And then Indian Wells, that's the big question, whether he's allowed into the USA or not um, and whether he's allowed to play at, at that beautiful, beautiful setting in the desert. So, Joel, we'll move on. Felix Auger Aliassim on a positive Happy note. News. Happy news. He finally got that title on his ninth attempt. He got there. He defeated Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets. So it was another straight sets final, but the other way around for him in Rotterdam. So he finally breaks the duck and he was elated. It was a magnificent display of tennis and Tsitsipas really mm. had no match for him. And I've been saying, and I think... Maybe we touched on it last week. We definitely said it over texting that if Auger Aliassim did win that title, it was going to be like the floodgates opening. And I think I said to you maybe on Wednesday or something, he's going to be top four at some stage this year. And I do believe that because he's finally broken that dark. And my God, is that confidence going to rise? Oh, yeah, big time. Well, I mean, if you look at his year as a whole, he's had a fantastic year. And that's only magnified by the fact that he won that title in in Rotterdam, finally um, broke through. But obviously, Canada won the ATP Cup. He had a big role to play in that. Probably the biggest blip for him was when Daniel Medvedev absolutely killed him in that event. But Canada still went on uh, and won it. But then the rematch at the Australian Open, obviously, in the end, couldn't quite get over the line. But for a long time there, we, we thought that Felix was well, he was in the box seat and we thought that he was going to get the job done. Obviously, in the end, couldn't quite do it. But, you know, potentially that'll come with experience and and him building up the the tank to go over the five. Um, and then he's won in Rotterdam and he's having a, a nice little run in Marseille as well. So yeah, I think it's um it's it's gonna happen for Felix. It's happening present tense. And um I mean he's got the game as well. He's a he's a clean player. He might not necessarily be the most 
kind of flamboyant when it comes to his his style, but he's he's got the game a, a rounded game that is just getting the, the job done. Obviously, got a got a big serve, which is a weapon. So, yeah, um, I'm really happy for him. And we spoke to Rob Koenig about him as well um, in our last show, and we were worried that if he if he couldn't make that breakthrough, especially after nine goes, what kind of effect would that have on him? But he's done it, and yeah, you can't help but be happy for him. And now he's moved through to the Marseille uh, semifinals. And he hasn't dropped a set yet. And the mm. draw is opening up massively because Stefan Tsitsipas fell to Roman Safiulin last night. So Safiulin's having a great year as well. A phenomenal yeah. year. He was brilliant at the ATP Cup. And then um, uh, missed out in qualifying at the Australian Open to Liam Brody, but then got in as a lucky loser, but I think was pretty exhausted by that time. Um, so missed out, but now he's qualified for this event and he's moved through to a, to an ATP semifinal where he will play Felix, but he's beaten Alexi Popperin, he's beaten Thomas Machak, and he's defeated Stefano Tsitsipas. So, and Tsitsipas was the easiest of those wins. The first two matches against Popperin and Machak went 7-6 in the third. He's beaten Tsitsipas 6-4, 6-4. So yeah. <laughs> um, he's in some ripping form this year as well. Andre Rublev the, on the other side of the draw. He'll take on Benjamin Bonzi of France in the other semifinal. Um, we've also got Rio going on this week, Joel, which is, it's been a cracking tournament. We've seen some epic encounters, but a lot of rain over the last day that's really halted yeah. proceedings. So we could have a rematch of Berrettini against uh, against Alcaraz in the semi in the quarterfinals. And we saw that at oh, the yes. Australian Open. And that was, that was beautiful tennis. So looking forward to seeing a rematch there if we can get it. We've got Delray Beach as well. Grigor Dimitrov, or Dimitrov, I should say, is playing uh, in this tournament. He, I think, uh, Opelka is the highest seed left at the moment. Um, or is Cam Norrie? No, Cam Norrie got over quarter this morning. I saw quarter was uh, was playing and it was pretty close. But um, we could have the top four seeds get through to the semifinals there. We've got Norrie and Paul already there. And um, we've got Dimitrov and uh, Milman to come. So hopefully Johnny, for an, from an Australian and break point perspective, we had Johnny on the yeah. show and we do love Johnny Millman on the show, so hopefully he can uh, he can maybe snag that second career title of his because if anybody deserves it, it is him. And then Adrian Manorino against uh, Riley Apelka. That's happening as we record now. So very excited to see what's going to happen. And then we've also got the we've got four ATP tournaments this week, Joel. There is so much happening. Um, we've got uh, the Qatar Exxon Mobil Open. Roberto Bautista Agu in an epic over Karen Khashinov last night. Did you see that final return game of Bautista Agu, Joel? I actually have not seen that, no. So it's five all in the third set. Khashinov 40 love up. Massive winner after a long rally to get it to 40-15. Another big winner. Then another long rally and, um, and Bautista Agu wins the point. Then he breaks from 40 love down. And then he holds on with an epic shot to win a uh, forehand down the line uh, to win uh, to win the match. And RBA is looking in fine form. He only dropped three games in his first two matches this tournament. Beat Murray uh, one uh, love and one, and then he defeated uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina one and one. And then he's, now he's taken out Karen Khashinov, and he'll take on defending champion Nikolas Basilashvili in the finals. So this one's gonna this one's got the makings of an absolute epic. And then we go to the – and then the, the one thing, though, is Denis Shapovalov, Joel. We mentioned him last week. Another, A tale of two Canadians, huh? Another loss. He's the number one seed, had one of his quickest wins in the second round in Qatar. But now a, a 6-4, 6-4 loss to Arthur Rindeknesh. Mm. 
It's yeah. It's just one. It's been <laughs> one of those years for Dennis, hasn't it? A good Australian Open campaign, a good Australian summer, but just can't really. He just can't get the job done in these smaller events, can he? Yeah, well, can't seem to. Let's take nothing away from the reindeer, Arthur Rindirkinish. He's had a he's had a pretty good year as well. Obviously, um, we didn't see him at the Australian Open because of injury, but oh, we did, but not not um, from I think the second round onwards. If I'm right, beat Alexi Popper in the first round. Yeah. Um, he's had a pretty solid year, but you're right. Um, and it's the same thing, I think, Bell, with with Dennis. We talk a lot about maturity because the game is there. There's no doubt about that. But it's just we just continue to question the maturity levels, um, sort of his on-court demeanor, how he can deal with those high-pressure moments, how he responds um, to the negatives. Uh, you know, we saw it, I think, the, the real sort of – um, the highlight was, um, oh well, in, in the sense highlight in the sense that we we really saw it come to the fore against Rafa in that match at the Australian Open when you know he made that that corrupt comment, um, not what you want to see, and it was just completely unnecessary from uh, from from Dennis, but also I guess in the physical sense that you know is he he's kind of in that bracket I feel um, with these next gen guys, uh, can they um, sort of get the job done over five? Obviously in the smaller events it's not relevant best of three, right? But still, um, yeah, it's just, it's frustrating with Dennis because he's 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 so close, but he's just, he's still just not quite there yet. And I think the issue with him is quite clear. And be- because it's quite clear, I just really hope that he, he fixes that. I, I think it's not a difficult fix. Um, maybe it, it will take him some time, maybe some investment as well, get the right people around him. But you know, I think it's something that he can work on, and he's 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 one of those guys that's just too talented to uh, sort of peter out in tennis and, and miss his chance to really maximise the peak of his career. So I really hope that he can work it out because, and I hope he takes some inspiration from Felix as well because Felix has most definitely gone gone past Dennis. They're obviously good mates, but I also really hope that Dennis can look at Felix and say, "Yeah, look, I'll, that's what I want to be as well." I agree 100%. I think he's gone past him after that title. I think that was the one thing yeah. stopping Auger. I think he was already past him, but yeah. Well, he's had a couple of of really big grand slams, says Dennis. So, um, But now Felix has probably had the same amount. So I think, yeah, you're right. Felix has definitely gone past him, especially with that big title, an ATP 500 event, um, a massive, massive tournament. And we've got also, we had St. Petersburg last week with the net conservate winning an epic final over Maria Sakari there. And now we've got the... Uh, Dubai Duty-Free Tennis Championships, which has seen uh, Veronika Kudamatova get a walkover over Marketa Von Drusova in the semifinals. And Yelena Ostapenko, I said this last week <laughs> about uh, in St. Petersburg, depending on how, she sit, how she's hitting the ball, she's a chance of winning it. Well, she didn't win there, but have you seen the scoreline uh, against Simona Halep? Because... <laughs> have a look at the stats. Insane. Halep won the first 6-2. And then the second set, Ostapenko went up 3-love. Halep got it back to 3-all. Saved two set points to get it to the tiebreak. So you're thinking, oh, okay, here we go. Halep will finish it off here. Ostapenko wins the tiebreak 7-love. And then what do you think happens What do you think happens in the final set, Joel? Hmm. A capitulation. 6-love in favour of Ostapenko. Oh, she hit her off the court, 26 points to 11 um, in just absolutely amazing 
um, from Yelena Ostapenko. And that's the firepower that she possesses, and that's essentially what happened in the French Open final in 2017. <laughs> so the final yeah. there, Veronica Kudamatova against Yelena Ostapenko uh, in Dubai. So some big tournaments to come next week as well. We've got Acapulco. We have Dubai in uh, on the men's side, and they are it's some of the best tennis you'll see all year in the Qatar Open on the WTA. So we've got some big tournaments to come. Very exciting stuff. We've got both time zones. Acapulco starts very late in the morning here. Um, so like 11 a.m. all the way up until about 4 p.m. And then we've got at night as well where we have Dubai and Qatar. So plenty of tennis for tennis fans. Joel, it's time for our chat with Holger Runa. You've got to duck off, which I'm annoyed at you about. So uh, yeah, but you'll, be, you'll be back for the end of the show. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you talking all things tennis as we always love to do on this show. Co-host Joel, he's had to step out for a little bit, but I'm joined by a very special guest on the show today and He's the world number 90, and he's had a meteoric rise on the ATP Tour over the last year. Started 2021 outside the top 400, and now he's sitting at world number 90, and he's risen as high as 88 in the world. His name is Olga Rune of Denmark, 18 years old, taking the tennis world by storm. Olga, thank you very much for joining me. I know it's a very busy schedule in the middle of your tournament in Marseille at the moment. How are you going, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. You know, everything is good. Uh, been playing a good tournament so far, and, and especially in doubles, it's uh, been going surprisingly well. Coming to the semifinals already and, and beating some very good, uh, you know, pairs under the way. So I'm I'm just happy to to be where I'm right now. Well, congrats on it's your first win on the ATP Tour this week uh, against Zizou Bergs, losing the first set, but then coming home pretty strong. Congrats on the win. How relieving is that for you to just finally break through in 2022 and get that win under your belt? Yeah, it was good because I started very badly. Actually, I played some of the worst tennis I've played this year. But uh, then after that, you know, I tried to, you know, stick in there, try to be mature, try to think as a professional, as I said, also after the match to find solution because I didn't feel the game that day uh, that great. So, and that happened. So you have to find the, find a way always. And and I did that and it was a big relief because, you know, I've had some tough losses this year and close one as well. And some matches I could have won. And, you know, I had, I started off with two good matches qualification in Adelaide. So I was actually, you know, feeling kind of good, but then it, it went maybe a bit down, but now I feel like I'm back and, and playing well and it's getting better and better. And speaking about that close one, there was Sunwoo Kwon at the Australian Open and that went to five sets. And how did you uh, find your first Australian Open main draw? Obviously, the first time you've come out here in the in the pro or in the senior tour. And um, how, how did you find it? And um, how did you assess your game? Yeah, I mean, I find it a great tournament. It's, it's really one of the, I mean, I would say one of the best slams I've played because, you know, everybody's so happy. The crowd is amazing. Everything is good with it. And uh, you know, I yeah the course as well. I really like the conditions there, and uh, it was it was you know a good match on my side. I had my chances. Unfortunately, I was cramping, so that was a big part that played into the match. But you know, I had I had two zero break in the fourth, leading two sets to one. So you know, I was I was kind of you know leading the match in a way, and he was starting to go a lot down. So I, I had my chance, but I mean, this is tennis, this is experience. So we have to move on and, and learn from it. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And we've seen it so many times over the years with so many different players, but eventually it just continues to build up further and further and um, it gets a lot better from there. But this year you've broken into the top 100. As I said before, you were 477 in January 2021 and now you're sitting at world number 90. And it must be, and congratulations, but it's also, it must feel so rewarding that while these COVID rankings are still kind of in effect where it's still not kind of adjusted for the tournaments that we've had over the last few years that you've actually achieved the top 100 status in amidst such difficulty. How rewarding is that for you? Yeah, incredible. I mean, it's it's a, it's not a very easy thing to do, especially in these times. It makes it even, you know, more difficult than it is. But I'm I'm just, you know, I'm very proud of it, but because it means that I've really been going been going fast and been going strong and and you know, it's been it's been tough because I've been playing so many matches last year and the challenges and kind of if I wanted to reach my goal, I had to play, you know, a lot of weeks, almost every week sometimes and go deep in the tournaments, but I had the strong like will to do it, so I find a way like you know I always do with my goals so I'm, I'm you know I always believe in my goals and that's one of the things is that why I reach them and you had an outstanding year on the challenger tour last year you won four titles as well as an ITF future event and how physically taxing was all of that on your body because you played most weeks in 2021 and then at the back end of the season you played a lot of the ATP tour events so how physically exhausting was it for you and also mentally with all the travel that you had to do and all the bubbles kind of at the start of the year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, some weeks were tougher than other weeks, but in general, I felt pretty good last year. I mean, in the body, because as I said, I played so many matches, so that only makes me stronger physically, endurance, everything. So it actually made it a lot easier that I played these matches because if you just go from tournament to tournament and lose early, it's it's actually more tough for the body because you get less practice, you get less matches, you get less everything. So, you know, it, in a good way, it was actually good last year for my body and everything. It was, of course, like some weeks were tougher. I remember one one week in, in a challenge in, where was it, in Bergamo, where I won. The last one I won on indoor hard course was extremely tough physically because I don't know, I came with not so many practice behind and, and you know, playing some late matches over midnight, actually all of them almost. So it was, was really not easy, but it was worth it. I was fighting my way and when I want something, I usually get it. And that's, that's brilliant. And the, the back end of 2021, we saw some phenomenal tennis and I, I think that peaked at the US Open as well when you took on Novak Djokovic in your very first main draw Grand Slam match. Um, how did you find that experience? And when you won that set against him, what was going through your head? Yeah, I mean, it was probably the best experience of my life because, you know, playing with such a crowd and and, and all of them almost cheering for you. And, and my first time on Arthur S was just, you know, unreal, insane in a way. Because And also I, I found some pretty good tennis as well in the second set. You know, I was just telling myself after the first set, after 6-1 was definitely not a bad set for me. I mean, we both played well. He was just better that set. And I just told myself, okay, let's see in the second set. I'm I'm going to take every chance I have, every short ball I have. I'm going to go for it and, and see what happens. And then I started extremely strong, I think, maybe with a free love lead or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it was it was great because I was feeling good in the beginning and just, you know, being in the moment, seeking it all mm-hmm. in and and after the match, of course, you know, I wanted it to to end in a different way, maybe to end it like he, him beating me 
100% and not cramping as I did. But, you know, it's it's all about experience. Now I know how to deal with the cramps. So I wouldn't knew that if I hadn't had this chance to, to be cramping. So so it's it's all good. Well, I was I was watching that from uh, from Melbourne because the time zone is very kind when it's a night session in America, and um, it was it was an inspired performance from yourself with the way you were cramping. It looked as though that you just you could barely stand. How 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 in what level was the pain, and and how far into your body was it? It was extreme. I mean, I I couldn't do more. I, if I could have done more, I would have done more, but I just couldn't. So. It was it was extreme, and I I already felt it in the beginning of the third set. And if you already feel it that early, and it's one all in the set, it's it's gonna be pretty tough. Let's just say that when it's best of five sets. And I mean, I've played some matches where it's best of three sets, and I cramped in the end of the third. It's okay. It's manageable. You can handle it. Um, but you know, playing possibly I don't know three more sets is is quite difficult and almost impossible. I would say with cramping. So. <clears throat> that was that was tough. I mean, not definitely not the way I wanted to end the match. No, definitely not. But you won a lot of fans that night, Holger. And uh, looking at um at the crowd that night, it was as you said, it was electric. Um, how how do you adapt playing to such a or such a noise? And and what's the what's the key for you to try and kind of block it out? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was not really about blocking it out because they were all cheering for me. So I was, that helps. I was like, <laughs> yeah, let, let me just hear you guys more, you know, in a way. And and so it was actually helping my game as well because I was playing more freely. Of yeah. course, in the beginning, you have nerves. But, you know, I just relaxed on the court and, and, and also used the crowd in my favor, you know, giving them something, giving them some some fist pumps and, and some good points and, you know, just, you know, making a good show. And I think that it was, I mean, some great tennis some great rallies, close set in the second and, you know, great entertainment for all. And, and, you know, I think it was, it was great. I, I was just trying to be myself hundred percent and, and they really liked it. So I was happy about that. Now, one thing I do want to ask you about is the, the Ikea bag from that night. Um, there were a lot of questions about it afterwards and I saw the press conference. I actually, I'm doing this in the, um, in the spare bedroom in my apartment and I looked into the wardrobe and I actually, I found one, um, one of the, (laughs) one of the Ikea bags. So I immediately thought of you. Um, but tell us, tell us about that and what's, um, what the reasoning was behind it. Was it just sort of convenience and because it's not something you see a tennis player walk out onto a court with usually, usually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was pretty random, as I also said, and in many interviews now after all. But it was just like because I used it for two weeks in Italy, uh, for my bags, uh, for my drinks and bananas, and I wanted two tournaments before, so I thought, okay, it's bringing good luck. So I bring it in my suitcase. You know, it's pretty. You it's you can have it almost everywhere. So I was like, let's use it for the drinks again. And I actually didn't think at all about it. You know, walking on the court and with this bag was just you know normal and and then after all uh, after the match and everything i could see it looked quite funny but you know and it was just pretty random hey if it works it works it doesn't matter what it is so no that's yeah. um i mean it doesn't break at least so yeah exactly now they're they're pretty damn good um but another thing i wanted to ask you going back to the crowd um there was uh, in buenos aires i saw on social media you tweeted that they were a little bit too raucous and too loud in between some of the points there, what exactly happened in that match against uh, Sebastian Baez, and um, um, what was going on in the stands that was sort of that was triggering, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the main problem was like their behavior between 
the the serves or in the serve and the second serve where they were screaming and, and yelling I don't know some bad things about me and I mean I respect that if you have like you know a national player from Argentina of course they should support him but in a like respectful way for the other player because now I played here in France and I I saw a lot of matches like yesterday with Rublev against Puyi and and of course as maybe you can hear now there's playing a French guy also and they're supporting but they're respectful through the serves and second serve but you know I just thought that it's one of the first time that happened to me such a disrespectful crowd and uh, I think in a way you just got to learn it you just got to handle it you know just it's about the tennis it's yeah. not about this so it's just move on learn from it and and you know get you know get to another tournament and you know it's <clears throat> it's like not all people know tennis and yeah. know yeah. what tennis is it's not a football match you know you can't just yell everything and in the same way, we want more people to see tennis and and everything. So it's it's a fine balance. And that's exactly me and my co-host who um, does the show with me, Joel. <laughs> We've been talking about this since the Australian Open. We saw that it was very evident in mm, I don't know exactly. if, you, if you saw it, but yeah. the the doubles with matches. Medvedev and yeah, and Kyrgios. And also with Medvedev, yeah. And I, I thought that was disrespectful as well because I mean I definitely understand you need to cheer for your for your guy for your for the nation yeah. and everything for of course they should be screaming after every point but after every point not doing every point or doing first serve or second serve just you know keep the respect and it's fine to yell like crazy uh, that's I, all that's my opinion I agree one this is what we've been saying because it turned into a zoo almost and it was getting yeah. to a point where as an Australian and someone who works in the media but also wants to showcase the grand slam it was a little bit embarrassing for global audiences to be watching it. So yeah. I'm very glad you've got the same opinion as what we've got. But um, mm-hmm. going back to, to this week, it's been a phenomenal week for you. As I said, you got the first win of the season in singles, but you've also had a brilliant week in doubles with Hugo Gaston. You're playing your semifinals later tonight, Australian time, today in Marseille. Um, talk us through the week because it's been phenomenal beating the or a former Grand Slam doubles champion pair in uh, Nicolas Mahou and um, Pierre Hugebert. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, it was after I lost my singles to Koretsev. So I was not in the best mood, but it was a great match, a lot for to learn for it. So, you know, we just, I mean, I, I played like two or three doubles the last two years. So I had no expectation and I don't think he had either. So we just, you know, went in and, and played freely. And, you know, we're good players. So, of course, we're good doubles players as well. So yeah. so it's just, you know, to to find a way to just to do. Actually, it was our first match together and uh, we had to learn a bit each other in the beginning but after that we, we play well I mean we, we of course we know the game we played juniors doubles um a lot not not together but we played a lot of doubles and and you know I think you know like the young energy and like the I don't know the relaxed attitude we had just really helped us and I, I think in going into your match later on you've got to take on Andre Rublev are you hoping that he does play a really long singles match first up here that uh, so that he might be a little bit a uh, little bit fatigued heading into the doubles match yeah I mean honestly now I know myself playing like two hours and ten minutes against Karetsev and I was playing the doubles later and it it wasn't bothering me at all so oh. I don't think if he plays three or four hours it's gonna make a difference but you know I don't know I'm just going to try to 
you know, don't give him too many easy forehands yep. while I'm at the net on my opponent. That that's our tactic. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're if you're on the other side of the net and you hear that bwear, it uh, it might not come off too yeah. well. Um, but what's no. um what do the next few months look like for you in terms of tennis and travel and obviously Marseille this week? Where are you heading over the next couple of months and what are you targeting? Yeah, and the plan is to play the Indian Wells in Miami in March here. And, uh, you know, I want to do well in these tournaments. They're big tournaments, a lot of points involved and everything. And I feel strong. I mean, you know, I feel stronger than ever, actually, physically, tennis-wise. And mentally, it's getting better, learning a lot from the tour, watching other players like Rublev, the top players, to to learn from them mentally also because they're, of course, more mature and experienced than I am, than I am so far. But, you know, you can always, you know, rush that process with matureness because it's, you know, you still see guys that are 30 years old and and play incredible tennis but they're like in a 16 year old guy so so you can you can really improve this quick and if you don't it's probably never going to be there so you have to take a decision and you know I'm just trying to you know do that every practice every match I play try to to work on the attitude work on everything I can control and uh, you know just in general keep working on the game the small things I want to improve and uh, yeah then then ranking wise it's it's just I mean now I'm think from next week i'm gonna move up three spots so like 87 or something and <clears throat> then it's the goal like i would say after french open to be able to be in top 50 yep. would be great yeah oh that's brilliant and fingers crossed you can get there and looking at what you're able to achieve back to last year i think finishing the year with the next gen finals in milan that must have been a massive reward for you um, being in the top eight players in your age division, 21 and under, that must have been a massive boost for your confidence to be able to play in that tournament and then also match it with some of the best young prospects on the ATB tour. Yeah, it was an unbelievable event for me and, and for all the other guys. It was just, you know, shoot set up and, and great everything. I mean, the court, the, the whole thing was just unbelievable, unbelievable experience to play in. Unfortunately, I didn't play the best tennis, but, you know, just to be there and, and get one win at least and, and, you know, to be in the environment and to play a tournament where it's only young players like you is just so much fun because there's so much more, like, energy on the matches and so much more, like, I don't know, in a way, like, you know, it's more, like, tense on the court yeah. with these guys. You can feel that also in the other guys. There's there's another will to win, of course, when, when I play, like, a guy that is so much older than me, I still want to kick his ass, but... <laughs> You know, it's it's just different when you play like guys in your age. You just want to win so badly, in yeah. a way. I don't know. You just want to mark yeah. your territory and just say, no, no, no. I'm the best young prospect yeah. on the on the tour at the moment. Yeah. You can wait your turn. Yeah, exactly. Um, and before we do let you go, Holger, I want to I want to do a little bit of a fun thing. Now, every time we usually get a tennis player on, we just do a couple of rapid fire questions. So I'll ask you something, mm-hmm. and you just give me like a yeah, let's do it. one word answer, and it'll be nice and quick. So. Tennis idol growing up? Uh, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. Very good choices. Very good choices. Yeah, um, not bad. Not, not bad, bad players. <laughs> Just 41 slams between them. Um, cats yeah. or dogs? Uh, dogs, but not really any of them. Fair no. enough. I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually a little bit in that ballpark as well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, favorite surface? Good question. Right now, hard courts. Yep. Favorite TV show? Um, Prison Break. Yeah, that's I've watched that recently. It's actually very, very good. Really enjoyed <laughs> it. it. Is, it is. Um, favorite yeah. food? 
favorite food when I have a cheat day would be a burger. Yep, nice. Um, what's the most played song on your playlist? Um, I would probably say the 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 new one, um, like the rapping song. The one is called "Love Nagawuchi" or anything. I don't know. Yep. I can't like. Yeah, the one, the rapping song. Yeah, nice. Um, what's the best place you've ever travelled? Um, the best place I've ever been to is... You don't have to say oh. Melbourne. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that was a great place. I would probably say like the best experience I had in a place was US Open. Yeah, nice. New York. Brilliant. Yeah. And what about the worst place you've ever had to travel? The worst place was probably when I played some future tournaments in like, you know, like, I don't know, Tunisia or yeah. these places. It's just... It's just when you're coming from juniors and, and the highest yeah. junior tournaments, it's just very, like, it's a crazy thing. You go from, like, big center courts and grand slams as well to just a court out of nowhere. It's weird. Yeah, yeah well, we've heard some stories about um, we had for, uh, the former Aussie player Marinko Matosovic on last year, and he was saying that in Uzbekistan, the water from the shower was coming out brown um, for, yeah. a Dav- for a Davis cup tie as well. So that's a fairly big event. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. there's, there's a few shocking stories out there. I'm, I'm sure. Um, and final one, if you weren't a tennis player, what would you be? Um, I would definitely be into sports in a way, but I don't know, maybe, I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm in centimeters. I'm about 190, but I think that's too, too like small for basketball. <laughs> So maybe maybe football player. I yep. played football when I was young. Ah, uh, nice. What team do you support? Uh, nothing actually. <laughs> nothing. Just... I'm into tennis more now. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, and hopefully we keep you in the sport for many, many, many more years because you are one of the best prospects on the ATP Tour, Holger. And I wish you the ultimate Thank success you. on tour. And hopefully we can chat again very soon on Breakpoint. Olga Runa, good luck with the rest of the season, and thank you for joining us on Breakpoint. Thank you so much. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Frucci taking you through the world of tennis. Jeez, Holger's a, a good kid. What a chat that was. And I, I really, really wish him all the best in 2022 because I just I can't wait to see what he can produce on the big stage. We already know that the big occasion doesn't get to him. We saw against Novak at the yep. US Open last year. And, um, geez, it, it, it's really big for Danish Danish tennis. They've had guys like Frederick Nielsen. He's won a Grand Slam doubles title. They've had Kenneth Carlson. And now Holger can really can make it his own. And I hope that – I really hope that he can, especially – and also don't forget Caroline Wozniacki and then – um, so you've also got Clara Talson on the um, on the WTA. So yeah. they've had some very, very good plays. Not as much on the men's side, but um, yeah, I, I really, really hope that we can see um, we can see him go the distance and, and really progress as far as we think he can. Um, so plenty of big things to come for Holger Rune on the ATP. Joel, it is time for the Benoit of the week. And yes, there's. There's really look, there's two that we could give it to. There's two fairly obvious ones, mm. but 
I think we have to go for the 2020 Benoit of the year, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> I think so. Felix Auger Aliassim was so close to getting that nomination. He was so close, but he's not getting it. Novak's getting it because mm. I guess just the anti vax stance, and he says that he's not, but I'm sorry, action, speak louder than words, Novak, and that's all that we can say. We've touched on it enough on this show. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Guess That's there's, it. No, there's, not, there's not really much more I can say. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Novak, you're the leader of the Benoit of the Year in 2022. Can he go two from three or can Benoit pair the 2021 champion? Go uh, go even one better and go back to back. We'll see. We will see. Um, what's on for the rest of your weekend, Joel? Um, going to a brewery. Oh, very nice. Tonight. So that should be, uh, that should be fun. Never been there before. So, uh, yeah, sample some, some ales and... Very Maybe nice. have a yeah, couple of little bites. Should be good. Sounds yeah, very excited. nice. Beautiful. Sounds good. Well, you enjoy that. And uh, we'll catch you. We won't be here next week, but um, hopefully in the week after or the week after that, a bit of work travel coming up. So um, so from both Joel and myself, Val Febo, uh, we bid you adieu and we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook, just like us on there, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever you get your shows from. We are there. Plenty more tennis still to come in. 2022 and when we do come back we've got a lot to talk about i'm sure this has been breakpoint podcast